Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This time on Vet Story. Depending on your view of the military and how it operates in war will certainly guide you as far as how you see this case. Uh, he's alleged to have stabbed an ISIS fighter uh, while other SEALs were giving this fighter a medical treatment. I don't know of a single combat veteran that wouldn't eliminate that threat from the battlefield. It shows holding the head up and in the other hand holding his knife almost like like a like a deer hunter would hold up a, a deer by its antlers. <laughs> the SEALs that are speaking out against him had conspired to come up with this story because they didn't like his leadership. You know, if you have one piece of paper, you're a hero. If you don't have that piece of paper, you're a murderer. It's clear that it's not really a clear-cut case. Welcome to another episode of Vet Story. I'm your host, Phil Briggs. I'm a Navy veteran interested in good beers and great stories. Today, we'll hear one of the most dramatic stories I heard all year long. The story of a Navy SEAL who's currently incarcerated and being charged with murder. And the victim? A wounded ISIS fighter. Yeah, a wounded ISIS fighter. We'll talk with one of the journalists that's been covering this case from the beginning. And we'll hear a glimpse of what really goes on on the battlefield from a Special Forces veteran. Before we unpack this whole story, I want to invite you to listen to Vet Story on the Radio.com app. It's free to download from your app store, and it will introduce you to tons of podcasts, radio shows, radio stations, and other content you won't find anywhere else. And as we get ready to experience another episode of Vet Story, I'd love you to subscribe to it. Rate it with some stars, preferably five. And if you'd like to share your thoughts, give it a review. Whether you're listening via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher, or any of the other podcast players, we would be honored if every new episode we produce could show up on your phone. Now, if you want more great military veteran-themed content, check out our website, ConnectingVets.com. Now, back to the podcast. Late in the fall of 2018, I came across a story that I couldn't quite believe. The article described how a Navy SEAL, a decorated Navy SEAL with a 20-year career, was being charged with multiple war crimes in connection with the 2017 stabbing death of a detainee in Iraq. A Navy SEAL Chief Eddie Gallagher is now fighting from a brig in San Diego for his freedom. 
The 20-year Navy veteran has hired two high-powered criminal defense attorneys who specialize in military law. First, from Dallas, there's Colby Volke. And then there's Philip Stackhouse from San Diego. Together, they're exploring a civil rights lawsuit against NCIS agents for alleged misconduct linked to his September 11th arrest and detention where he currently resides in San Diego's Naval Consolidated Brig Miramar. Back in November of 2018, an Article 32 hearing commenced with a special military judge sent from Florida to sift through the evidence. The judge will then recommend which charges should be forwarded or withdrawn by an admiral who could convene a general court-martial. Right now on the table, Gallagher has been accused of murder, aggravated assault, obstruction of justice, and professional misconduct. For more on this, I spoke with Marine Corps veteran, editor-in-chief of Task and Purpose, and founder of Duffelblog, Paul Zoldra. The story here is um, sort of, uh, it's sort of a, a Rorschach test of as far as if you see the, the particulars of it, you know, depending on your view of the military and how it operates in war will certainly guide you as far as how you see this this case. The the chief, Chief Eddie Gallagher, he is he's accused of uh, a number of war crimes uh, during the Battle of Mosul, uh, stemming from a, a deployment of his SEAL platoon in, in 2017. And they basically boil down to that the main charge is a murder charge. Uh, he's alleged to have stabbed an ISIS fighter uh, while other SEALs were giving this fighter a medical treatment. The the fighter was uh, wounded in a battle with Iraqi troops, handed over to the SEALs, and then prosecutors say that Gallagher uh, later killed the ISIS fighter. Now, this, uh, this is, going back to how you view this, um, there are many on one side of the uh, one side who say, "Well, he's an ISIS fighter. Screw that guy!" And you know, who cares if he got killed? Um, and that's an argument being made by by plenty of people. And then on the on the other side is, you know, we are, you know, U.S. forces are under the Geneva Convention, and we do not just willy nilly kill prisoners. And there's plenty of that. So. Um, the, the interesting facet of this case is it's just super uh, political, and it's, uh, it's very much a new sort of uh, case that I'm watching that I feel like will become a bigger deal as it moves forward. Now, as of recently, they were going to a hearing to determine if this should go to trial, and those hearings are known as an Article 32, and I believe that's where I began watching your coverage of this story. It was in the preliminary stages in San Diego, correct? Correct, yeah. So um, so the case was basically, it was investigated by the Naval Criminal Investigative Service, and then they bring that to uh, the Navy, in this case, it's the Naval Special Warfare Group 1 in Coronado, California, and they uh, they decide to bring it to an Article 32. And an Article 32 investigation and hearing is basically, uh, it's a preliminary hearing uh, where prosecutors just have to establish probable cause. You know, was there a crime or was there probable cause of a crime happening? And if so, if there is cause for a crime, then it would be moved to a court-martial or uh, referred to something else. So I went down to 
Naval Base San Diego for the the Article 32 hearing for Chief Gallagher and also his uh, platoon leader. Uh, his name is Lieutenant Portier, and basically watched that that unfold. Um, the Gallagher hearing was by design. Article 32s are are one sided, so you have the prosecution just kind of introducing evidence. Uh, giving that to the hearing officer who is supposed to write up a report. Uh, in, in Gallagher's case, the evidence was a very big binder. We're talking like 500 some odd pages with eyewitness statements, uh, video interviews, photos, text messages, all kinds of, all kinds of things. Um, and then they also called one witness, which was the NCIS agent. His name was uh, Joe Orpinski. And, um, and he, as a witness, was the agent in charge with investigating this entire situation. Not that he was actually there on site at the time of the alleged murder, but he was the Correct. officer in charge of doing the research. Correct, yeah. So basically the gist of this case is that at least during or sometime after the deployment of this, these SEALs from SEAL Team 7, a number of SEALs inside Gallagher's platoon brought up allegations of war crimes uh, to their chain of command, and, um, and it, that finally kind of bubbled up to NCIS. And so an NCIS agent was assigned to the case, uh, went and investigated it, interviewed a number of the SEALs, uh, in the platoon, and then uh, some of them just decided we're not talking to NCIS and lawyered up, and then also traveled to Iraq to interview members of the Iraqi unit that uh, that the SEALs were attached to. And so from that, you know, that investigation and that report, you know, then goes to the prosecutors who decided to refer charges um, mm -hmm. against Gallagher. So Gallagher is charged with things like premeditated murder for the alleged murder of this wounded ISIS fighter. Um, he's said to the, the prosecution says that he stabbed the fighter in the neck and the body with a with a knife. He's also charged with other uh, separate incidents of, of war crimes uh, as far as two cases of using his sniper rifle to allegedly shoot and wound an elderly Iraqi man and uh, a young Iraqi girl. These are two separate incidents that the prosecution has brought up. And those are basically those are based on uh, witness statements from other SEALs in, in the platoon. Mm. Now, as you've covered it, Military officials have obtained cell phone text conversations from Gallagher, allegedly showing he sought to cover up the fatal stabbing. But within that binder, there was also just some pretty graphic images. Talk to me a little bit about what they presented. Sure. So the the most compelling, or at least the most interesting, in, in, as far as to me, is is text messages um, and photos. And they introduced photos from Mosul into evidence, but under seal. So they weren't shown in the courtroom. Um, wow. However, Warpinski described the photos, or at least a few of them in question. Uh, one of the photos that he described was, um, it shows uh, Gallagher basically holding up the, the, the fighter's head, uh, not, not severed. So he's just kind of holding him up at, at his body, holding holding the head up, and in the other hand, holding his knife, and just sort of posing with 
with this body, almost like like a like a deer hunter would hold up a a deer by its antlers, uh, sort of that same pose. Um, and they basically said that uh, soon after the the killing, the alleged killing took place, Gallagher texted a friend of his this photo and uh, said I uh, said quote I got him with my hunting knife. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other photos that, uh, again, I have not seen, but were described of uh, the platoon being in or around the ISIS fighter's body. There's also um, an incident that prosecutors have been talking about where Gallagher reenlisted almost immediately after this took place. Um, and there's some photos, um, I guess, after the reenlistment. Um, there's there's plenty of photos and and text message evidence and all that kind of stuff and but I do want to make clear that these these hearings are very one sided and so the prosecution is going to show all the worst of the worst but when you sort of dig into the the evidence and you question it a little bit it's not a clear cut case it's I left this hearing after uh, two days basically and I am not sure whether he's innocent or guilty. There are alternative theories that could be offered and certainly will be when this uh, inevitably goes to court-martial. You know, the taking a photo with a dead uh, ISIS fighter is probably not going to help Gallagher's case. Um, you know, uh, taking a photo of something like that is just you're you're giving prosecution and ev- uh, evidence right there. But you're just taking a photo after and, and holding up the uh, this knife and texting somebody can be explained away, um, or it can be explained. And I've heard this from uh, from a source is basically saying that. It's not necessarily him admitting to, you know, texting a friend and saying, hey, I killed this guy and I got him with my hunting knife. It's more of um, I'm I'm a seal and I'm sort of I'm I'm sort of exaggerating my war exploits right now to my buddy and sort of, you know, BSing like, ha ha, I got him. Um, And that's kind of how how the defense will will likely cast it. Speaking of how it's being cast, if I could, I saw a video that was released by Task and Purpose, and it was a link to a YouTube video. Um, And in it, there's an Iraqi journalist apparently interviewing a teenager who is lying on the ground uh, severely wounded. And in the video, of course, the journalist is, is standing over him, asking him a few questions. You know, why did you join ISIS and how did you, you know, come to be here? ليش اشتغلت وياهم؟ جبروك لو انت باختيارك. ابوي ها؟ ابوي كان يقتلني. ابوك يقتلك؟ يقول لي لا تروح وياهم. ابوك ما يقبل غير؟ لا عاد ليش رحت انت؟ انا قاعد يقولون طيبه يقولوا لك عافيه. Is he the individual in question in this case that the seal allegedly murdered? Uh, yes it is. So there's a there's a video on on YouTube. This was uh the link to this video, this was introduced into evidence. This is part of the NCIS investigation. And like you said, it shows this wounded uh, ISIS fighter 
Uh, he's basically surrounded by a bunch of Iraqi army soldiers, and he's interviewed with this embedded journalist uh, in Arabic. And he's uh, he's he's estimated to be between 15 and 17. The NCIS agent pegged it closer to 15, um, but his age is not you know exactly clear. Um, but but he's not a, this yeah, reporter, he's, he's not a grizzled old man. Yeah, yeah. You can see that he. He has been really. Uh, he's he's definitely not doing too well. Um, apparently, he was hit in a coalition airstrike right before this. Uh, the Iraqis say that they shot him. That's another part that's kind of unclear as far as how he was wounded. Um, but they captured this fighter with a PKC-47 machine gun. Like, there's no doubt that he was an ISIS fighter and he was shooting at the Iraqis. Um, so, not to minimize that. But he's interviewed, and basically, uh, the the journalist basically kind of establishes that he he's just like sort of young, confused kid that joined ISIS, um, or was kind of fooled into joining ISIS. At least that's how the reporter sees it. And and this video happens sometime prior to his turnover to the seals and you can see some of the wounds he has uh he has a he has a leg wound on his left leg uh right by his knee looks like he's bleeding from that he's also got some kind of wounds down in his groin area which you can't really tell and he looks like he can't really breathe all that well from here there's sort of a gap in my understanding of of what happens next and this is kind of the crux of of the case going forward he is you know alive and he's you know screwed up but he definitely doesn't look like he's going to die in this video um i asked a former army medic to look at this video and you know he basically was saying you know he's he's messed up but he's he he's definitely savable uh, in this video, but there's a gap because the fighter was then taken by the Iraqis over to the SEALs compound uh, a short distance away. Uh, by their own admission in the NCIS documents, the Iraqis basically strapped him to the hood of, of their vehicle for the drive and then brought him to the compound, turned him over, uh, turned this fighter over to Chief Gallagher, apparently. And then the SEAL medics, including Gallagher, uh, started going to work on him and giving him medical treatment. Um, they, they cut off his pants to get more uh, uh, look, at, look at what his wounds were. And there's no video of this yet. Um, I'm told that there's, there's some sort of GoPro footage from this moment, but I have not seen it. Mm. Um, his pants are cut off, and he's... He's he's giving medical support. They are doing a breathing, uh, like a breathing device in his neck called a, a crike, and they basically have to open up his airway to give him more uh, more breathing capacity through this device. Uh, they're also putting in um, a uh, another medical device for uh, helping him with apparently like a collapsed lung or something like that. Oh, wow. Uh, so they're doing, a, they're doing a lot of different things. And uh, the defense was, was arguing a, a bit into, in this article 32 that the stabbing, the actual stabbing with a knife 
that Gallagher is alleged to have uh, carried out was not a stabbing at all. There was no stab marks or anything of the sort. Instead, he, um, uh, this is his lawyer, Philip, uh, Phil, Phil Stackhouse, said that the crike, the insertion of the medical device in the neck was what was what's more likely uh, to have caused the fighter's death. Mm. I don't know what you know, ultimately caused the death. And I'm sure that's something that we will we will find out going forward. Um, and there will be plenty of debate on, on either side. But at this point, it's, it's not really clear what, you know, what occurred. Three eyewitness statements from, uh, from others that were around this scene or close to it, uh, who have spoken to NCIS and have said that uh, Gallagher, you know, walked up and stabbed the ISIS fighter in the neck. Um, the Gallagher side uh, of the defense is countering by saying that the SEALs that are speaking out against him are were had com- and had conspired to come up with this story because they didn't like his leadership. He's known as a hard ass in the platoon, and he was very tough on his SEALs. And uh, as Stackhouse kind of talked to me about it, there the the seal witnesses uh, basically uh, the 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 theory is that they didn't really like Gallagher all that much and tried to get him removed in other forms or fashion by sort of talking about lower level problems in the platoon, which were unsuccessful, um, and then that ultimately led to these uh these war crime allegations um mm. again i don't know i don't know what you know that's you have it's sort of a he said she said at this point um and so i don't really know what the the the, the answer is there but um it's uh it's clear that it's not really a clear cut case i suspect that i think the seal community itself is watching this one very closely and I think there's probably a, a, a potential for more SEALs to be wrapped up in this case uh, before it's all said and done. Right after Gallagher was his Article 32, the very next week, his platoon leader, Lieutenant Jake Portier, was, uh, went through his own Article 32 hearing. And basically, the, he's charged with uh, more or less not reporting it up correctly to his chain of command and the prosecution is basically saying that Portier did not do do the right thing and tell his his chain of command and sort of report these these crimes up and um and so he's getting charged as a result uh but again there's some some conflicting there's conflicting accounts on whether that you know that was actually the case so Wow. Certainly speaks to the ugly gray area that is war. And we are faced with a lot of moral questions and a lot of compromises that have to be made on the field of battle. And you get into these situations and these scenarios. Did you find yourself conflicted while you were listening to this testimony? I mean, on one hand, here's a young guy, you know, believed or drank the Kool-Aid, so to speak, to join ISIS. But on the other hand, he was, in fact, just moments before the airstrike willing to shoot and kill any of us. Certainly the Iraqi troops he was firing at, but he would have gladly shot and killed a Navy SEAL. 
I mean, did you find yourself conflicted trying to balance those two, uh, those two factors? Well, I'm I'm conflicted, uh, but in a different way. So, I'm a you know I'm a Marine Corps veteran, uh, an infantryman. You know, I've served in Afghanistan, so I'm not very conflicted over you know drop a coalition airstrike or shoot back at an ISIS fighter. You know, a 15 year old with a weapon is just as deadly as a 25 year old mm-hmm. with a weapon. So that's not my confliction. My, my conflict, I guess, is my understanding of what actually occurred. Uh, so if, if, it's, if it is in fact the case that the SEALs got this ISIS fighter and they turned him over to, to the SEAL platoon at their compound, this is off the battlefield, they're relatively safe, they're not under fire or anything like that. And if it's established that, yes, you know, Gallagher... Uh, actually stabbed this fighter, that is, you know, regardless of how you feel with, about ISIS, by the, the law of warfare, that's, that's a crime. That, that would be justified to punish him for something like that. But my conflict comes from whether that was the case or whether, you know, the, the other side of the story has not been told yet and whether this particular SEAL who's been in for... Um, almost 20 years now, has a Bronze Star, has been in combat in many, many places, has by all accounts before this incident served our country with distinction. If he's now uh, being brought up on charges that are, you know, trumped up and not really the case, and, uh, you know, he's a victim of this sort of conspiracy of, of a few SEALs in his platoon that didn't like him, that would be an absolutely uh, terrible miscarriage of justice. And, uh, you know, if that's the case, then I, I certainly hope that uh, that part of the story comes out. Do you know whether or not we are going to trial yet, or do you know this will proceed to court-martial, or are we still waiting for that, of, that official word? Yeah, that's not uh, that has not happened yet. So the Article 32... For Gallagher, um, wrapped on, uh, I don't have the exact day, but it was around November 19th or 19th or 20th. From there, the hearing officer, uh, this Navy captain, basically has to write a report and then submit that to Naval Special Warfare Group 1. The Commodore there reads this report and then decides whether uh, to send it to court-martial or whether to, you know, administratively punish him or, or whatever. It's really, he has wide latitude with what he can do. Um, and so far I haven't gotten any word whether the report has been completed or anything, anything of that nature. So it, it's not, it hasn't been officially, you know, referred to court martial, but, um, pretty much everybody I talk to says that's, that's going to be the case. Mm. Um, as we await to hear if this goes to court-martial, um, if I can just end with asking, you know, as a veteran yourself, as a Marine and an infantryman, do you believe that part of war can erode empathy to a warfighter? I mean, is there a, is it plausible to think that after so many tours of combat, you may lack the empathy required to make a decent judgment within the rules of engagement? That's an interesting question. I think, you know, you kind of touch on something that, almost immediately after my story published on the the initial 
the initial case, which was, you know, my headline was, was talking about the got him with my hunting knife text and that photo, uh, from Gallagher. And I sort of watched the reaction to that. And there are a lot of people noting the number of deployments that Gallagher had been on and, um, sort of saying, well, you know, what do you expect? You know, he's been on all these deployments. Obviously he must've just snapped. I, I personally don't think that's, that's the case. Uh, I, by, you know, looking at Gallagher's record, he was, as far as what the Navy has released, I mean, he's, he's been, uh, the recipient of numerous awards. He's a chief of a platoon. He is a, um, he's been put in that position of leadership. So obviously people are watching and, and judging him and, and saying he, you know, belongs in that role. And he was, uh, before this even came about, he was about to be teaching SEALs uh, combat tactics and sent to a schoolhouse to do so. So the idea that he, you know, deployments have sort of worn him down and made him less empathetic um, I don't, I don't really think is, is, is the case. Well, I'm glad you're covering it for us. Uh, war, it comes with a price, and there is certainly a dark side to every heroic story we hear about on the battlefield. And I'm glad you're down there covering it for us, even though the details are not pretty. Uh, uh, you're going to help us follow the path and, and, and see what justice looks like in this case. Paul Zoldra, Editor-in-Chief of Task and Purpose, I really appreciate you sharing the story with us, man. Thank you very much. When my interview with Paul Zoldra concluded, I was looking through the news to find a follow-up on this, and I found an op-ed article from newsrep.com, which is a website founded by Special Forces veterans. In it, Navy veteran Sean Spoons writes, The reality is that war crimes are generally charged by the victor against the vanquished, and the record of justice being dispensed is oftentimes spotty. In this case, we aren't really the victors yet, and are charging our own people with war crimes. There's reason to wonder if real justice here can ever be done. Like Paul said in the interview, it's clear that this is not a clear-cut case. But how often do these types of situations occur? Now, I can't identify who's in this next interview, and his voice has been changed to protect his identity. But I was on the phone with a friend of mine that is a Special Forces veteran, and he shared with me this. What? Like, I remember we had this one guy who was just like a really bad, evil, cruel responsible for a lot of deaths, both military and civilian, got rolled up, and then we had to transfer him to uh, the Afghan National Security Forces, and everyone knew that he was going to be out in a matter of time. Like, everyone, because the system was so corrupt, that once they're in that system, unless they, you know, and it was just so frustrating to know, like, he was a really evil person who probably shouldn't be on this earth anymore. But now, because of politics and, like, whatever's going on, I have to transfer him to another person's custody who's probably just going to let him go because either they're corrupt or they're afraid that, you know, his cohorts are going to murder people's families mm -hmm. if they don't release him. You know, and that's so – so in, like, those cases, like, between you and me, like, if, if, if we had a really bad guy that was going to go free – and there wouldn't be any, like, legal repercussions. I don't know of a single combat veteran that wouldn't eliminate that threat from the battle space. You know? Mm -hmm. It's like, 
It's very frustrating because, like, you know, if you have one piece of paper, you're a hero. If you don't have that piece of paper, you're a murderer. As of the publication date of this podcast, Chief Gallagher's faith still hangs in the balance. And it remains to be seen what justice will look like. We'll follow the reporters at ConnectingVets.com and our friends like Paul Zoldra at Task and Purpose to find out more. I'm Phil Briggs, and in the meantime, I'll be searching through the internet to the ends of the earth to find the next tale we can tell on Vet Story.